is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Mongo Santa Maria with Watermelon Man. Good morning. This is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining me. Jazz Shapers is the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And we put right alongside them someone who is shaping the world of business. I'm very pleased to say, and we call them business shapers, by the way, if you didn't know already. I'm very pleased to say my business shaper today is Dame Stephanie Shirley, also known as Steve, which we will come on to a little bit later. She is probably one of the most prolific and successful businesswomen in the country she's a dame um, and she's also an extraordinary philanthropist you're going to be hearing her amazing story and some wise words from her as well i am sure in addition to hearing from dame stephanie you'll also be hearing from our program partners at mishkondorea some words of advice for your business and on top of all of that we've got some brilliant music of course from the shapers of jazz blues and soul hugh massacale is in there esperanza sporting is as well and this is also from bb king Paying the cost to be the boss from B.B. King. It's always apt when we hear that here on uh, Jazz Shapers. My business shaper today, as I said earlier, is Dame Stephanie Shirley, also known as Steve, and we're going to find out why in a moment. Um, she was involved in technology before people even thought about technology, and, and the, the she is important because women and technology have also not necessarily had a very positive uh, history, but Dame Stephanie was one of the first people who saw that right. And then, as I said, also she has been a, a prolific philanthropist and a giver of around, I think, around £70 million over the last few years. And she's a dame to boot, dame commander. <laughs> wow. I mean, That's I don't know, right. you know, I, not, it doesn't usually mean the You're introduction. You're supposed to salute. Said, I should salute. Should yes. I stand up as well? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But do you, is it, is it meant to be a salute, really? No, no, no. Curtsy for a dame. <laughs> Now, I'm going to call you Steve. Yes. Hello, Steve. Thank you for joining me. Um, I'm going to start with why Steve, and then I'm going to go back. Why Steve, Steve? Well, I date from the days when women were really not expected to do very much outside the house. And when I set up my business and I was launching out sales letters left, right and centre to, to absolutely no response. And my dear husband suggested that I use the family nickname of Steve. So instead of writing with that double feminine, Stephanie Shirley, (laughs) Shirley being my marital name, um, I was Steve Shirley. And I began to get some responses to my letters and the business took off. So I've been Steve ever since. Now, I believe that you moved to uh, the UK. I was a moved. You were a refugee. You're part of the kinder transport um, moment in time that as it happened just tell me a little bit uh, can you remember being uh, this may sound crazy being that little child coming here or, or I, if- I remember the childish things um the lost doll rather than the lost home um you know what is england and why am i being sent there 
Um, so it was fairly traumatic on a train of a thousand children aged up to 16. How old were you at the time? I was five years old and I was lucky because I was able to clutch the hand of my nine-year-old sister. So she, poor thing, had the responsibility for me as well. Um, but it was traumatic and I do remember it. Um, but how true that memory is, who knows? Mm. And um, you came to a foreign country. You didn't speak English, I'm assuming, at that point. It was everything, new family, new name, new language, everything. Those are. I think that was quite actually helpful because... Um, I learnt to deal with change, and having dealt with that, I grew to welcome change, and in a high-tech business, that was very useful. And just very briefly, before we play some, um, our, first, our first piece of music, what was it like in those early years? I mean, do you remember feeling at home? You talked about... You know, early years of what? Uh, the early years of your life. How, how soon did you think, this is, this is OK, this is my home, I feel settled here? Or have you never... Has that ever happened? I mean, some people say once a refugee, always a refugee. It does do something to your psyche. Um, I'm left with a, an ability to cope with change, um, but a sort, certain um, driven nature which comes from having lost absolutely everything. And I'm a different person because of those few childhood years uh, I was very lucky with my foster parents. They basically brought me up as they would their own. And um, I loved them dearly, though I was told always to be grateful, be grateful. Well, I, I, I am grateful. Um, and the fact that s complete strangers did so much for me has made a big difference and I think has helped in my philanthropy. Stay with me for much more from uh, Steve Shirley, my business shaper today, Dame Stephanie Shirley, that is, to everyone else. Um, stay with me for much more from her. Time for some music right now. This is Nat King Cole with Let There Be Love. That was Nat King Cole with Let There Be Love. I'm talking to Dame Stephanie Shirley, otherwise known as Steve. I'm very, I feel very privileged. I'm allowed to call her Steve. Um, we were talking about your childhood and that sense of, uh, of loss and what that enables you to then deal with in life and that sense of the ability, your ability to, to adapt. You moved to London. Um, you end up, I believe, in the 50s working at the post office research station in Dollis Hill. It was a very distinguished place in those days. Was it? Days. Yes. Post offices weren't, aren't now. I mean, what was it like well, then? Uh, when handsome young men asked me what I did, I used to say <laughs> I worked for the post office, thinking that they'd, well, hoping that they would think I, I sold stamps. But actually, it was full of, of uh, esoteric research workers, PhDs in this, PhDs in that. Lovely place to be. And I met my husband there, of course. And And... And before I come to your husband, you were, I mean, I understand you were writing what was, you were writing code, it was machine language. I mean, these are phrases that, even as I was growing up as a kid in the 70s, were relatively new. This was cutting-edge stuff. How did you end up being in that situation? How did you end up knowing what to do? I mean, in the early days, <clears throat> computers needed mathematics in order to work on them at all. And I was a math mathematician. Now I would say a lapsed mathematician. 
And I fell in love with computing. I, I could not believe that I should be paid so well for doing something that I loved so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was working on things like um, the first electronic uh, telephone exchange in Britain. That was at Highgate Woods. Um, the Ernie computer that does the premium bond machines. That was my first role where I really had a management task. Um, and really fringing on to um, the design of computers. Now, at some moment, you decided that you wanted to run your own business. And before we go into this extraordinary concept, which people now call the gig economy, this amazingly newfangled thing where people do their own thing, they're freelancers. You'd invented this 45 years ago. Let's not, we'll go there in a moment. Why? Why did you say, you know what, I'm going to do this for myself? Well, of a very negative reasons, Elliot. Um, I was coming across the glass ceiling in a very excellent company where I was very happy. And I thought, if, if I can't progress here, I think I'm going to set up my own organisation that has a, a culture that allows me and other women um, to develop their personalities without being patronised, without being blocked in their careers. And so pretty well overnight, I decided I'm going to do my own thing. And we're going to hold it just there because I want to hear much more properly about your own thing. Uh, stay with me for much more from Dame Stephanie Shirley, my business shaper. And um, you're going to find out in a moment about the business she founded, which floated a few years later for quite a, quite a decent amount. You're going amount. to ask me the date. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you the date. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll find it somewhere. Ladies travel in a couple of minutes. But before that, it's another part of our Future Shapers series. It's someone who is going to be shaping the world of business in the very near future. My name is Rick Toogood. And I'm Katie Toogood. And we own and run Prawn on the Lawn, based in Islington in London, and recently opened in Padstow, Cornwall. Prawn Lawn is a fishmonger and seafood bar. We work with day boats and we try and get our fish as sustainable as possible. I suppose the biggest challenge, particularly in London, is not having a hot food licence. So we opened literally with the fresh fish counter and then eight bar stalls, and we just started off with oysters, cold crab on ice, lobster on ice. Then we sort of started experimenting with sashimi, ceviche, and then the food became really popular. So I guess the challenge, first challenge, was coming up with new food, that new dishes that you couldn't cook. But we managed to do it, and uh, we went number one on TripAdvisor within the first sort of six months of opening. So it worked, and I still don't know how Rick does it, but still manages to come up with new dishes, um, along with our sort of head chef, Patrizia, in London. So that's probably one of the biggest biggest challenges, I'd say. Yeah, and then obviously when we moved down to Cornwall, being self-taught, not having worked in a kitchen, I now had a fryer, a plancher, an oven, and it was really sort of all those ideas that I'd built up over the t first two years of the first Prawn the Lawn, actually now learning how to cook fish successfully. So I, I had a lot of help as well from our head chef and in Padstow, Rob, very experienced guy, so we kind of worked together on that. That was a challenge. And then really from having the two, managing two restaurants that are sort of 300 miles away from each other and still maintaining those prawn lawn standards and so having reliable quality staff has been another... Which aren't hard to find, but when you've got them, you've got to hang on to them. You know, we've got such a brilliant team in London and we really appreciate all their hard work and... Yeah, we couldn't do it without them. Well, same in Padstow too. It's just people is a constant challenge, like finding staff and holding on to them as well. Uh, the ambition for the restaurant 
Well, I guess you can kind of take it back to the reason we kind of started it was that we wanted an enjoyable place to work, enjoyable place for customers to eat in, an enjoyable place for our staff to to work in. So really, the ambition is just to maintain that and really just see where things take us. Jazz Shapers presents Future Shapers, the future of business today. You'll find that future shaper in full at jazzfm.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday, I'm very lucky I get to meet someone who's shaping the world of business, someone who's done some extraordinary things. If you've missed any of the previous 250 shows or so, iTunes is your destination, British Airways High Life is your destination, so is ft.com or cityam.com. I've given you them all, so you've got absolutely no excuses. Dame Stephanie Shirley, otherwise known as Steve, is my business shaper today. Um, extraordinary businesswoman and also philanthropist of some extraordinary note too. I've used extraordinary twice because she's worth it and she's, uh, I, li- I like her title as well, Dame Commander. One day I want to be a, not a Dame Commander but something else. Thank you. Um, she's nodding sagely. Now, um, we were talking about this business, we got to it and I believe that you, you set up, they call it a software house, I suppose that's what you call it now, but it, it was a, a software house that eventually was um, floated on the London Stock Exchange, I think around 96 um, and then I think it, it became Zanza PLC and that Zanza PLC by the way then went on to be worth around, valued at about £1.2 billion and there's also a part a bit of higher it. than that actually, was it a bit well, higher? never mind, we won't argue. You can tell me the real number, it's a bit more, <laughs> bit more but about 70 of your, of the people in the... Well, in more proud of that than anything else. We went to, towards co-ownership, and ideally I would have liked to have got the whole company into the hands of the staff. But I succeeded in getting a quarter of the company into the hands of the staff um, without any cost except to me. And I'm very proud of that. It made it very collegiate. The feminine, um, the femininity of the company for which it was known got absorbed into a sort of collegiate culture. And we really had uh, a position in uh, the development of, of, of the industry, which other people envied and have emulated since. And you championed women. And there's a funny little note here. I like this, uh, this, this footnote, which is, I believe, within the first 300 staff, there were only three male programmers. Well, this, I put it the other way, I mean, 297 women. Women. But then, yes. you've got, but then I think there was a Sex Discrimination Act of 1975, which yes. meant you had to hire men. I mean, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. I mean, this is, you know, you... Uh, unintended consequences. Of course, absolutely. Yes. But I mean, probably the one example where it went the other way. Went the other way. Yeah, and quite right too um did you love building a business did i love building a business i learned to love certain aspects of it um but a lot of it was slog Mm. um a lot of it was trying to um, achieve some dream that i had a crusade for women that took a very long time. It was 25 years before the company paid a dividend, for example, 25 years. And most of the worthwhile things that I've done have been on 17 years for this, 11 years for that, but possibly in parallel. Um, So parts of it I really thoroughly enjoyed. Um, Somebody called me an entrepreneur at a time when I didn't know what the the word meant. Uh, But clearly I am an entrepreneur because I enjoy 
starting things, I enjoy doing new things, making new things happen. Whereas once it becomes running and corporate, um, the more successful it is, the less I enjoy it and the less I have to contribute. And despite all the accolades, and I think we've confirmed it's around 23 honorary doctor, doctorates um, from, from pretty fantastic august um, organisations or universities and more to come, I imagine that doesn't, it doesn't really touch you, does it? Do you care or do you quite like it? Is it important, do you think, as a role model for, for people to see? I do you... it as a role model mm. um, because I think students need to see that people of all shapes and sizes and colours and cultures um, can achieve. And um, when I travel in the Middle East, for example, I'm very much conscious that I'm a, an honorary man and a role model for women. Mm. And not necessarily comfortable, but somebody's got to do it. Stay with me for more um, from my exceptional uh, business shape today, Dame Stephanie Steve Shirley. Time for some music, and it's good old Blue Eyes, it's Frank Sinatra, and I've got you under my skin. I've got you under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me so deep in my heart that you're really a part of me that was frank sinatra with i've got you under my skin i've been talking to dame stephanie shirley um, and we've been talking about whether she loved building this business and we've agreed maybe it wasn't love it was a slog um but that you like making things and and, and managing things is a bit dull uh, mm. and i can relate to that you retired, I use that word um, with a kind of Russell Harty inverted commas, you retired at the age of 60 in 1993, but in reality what you did is started another chapter. And that chapter, I, as I see it, has been about you saying, what can I give and where do I want to give and why? And can you tell me a little bit about your connection with autism in your own, in your own words? That's a big, been a big focus for you. Well, my late son was autistic and eventually I came to terms with that. And eventually I realised that I could use my business skills and drive and energy um, to do things for autism, even without being a medic. And so I've set up four independent um, autism charities now and taken each of them to sustainability so that they <clears throat> operate without me financially and managerially. Um, one is for um, long-term care for, I think, 140 adults with autism. And that's a charity that now employs 260 people called Kingwood, which is where it started. And then a wonderful, wonderful school, um, probably my magnum opus, um, for nearly 100 children, pupils, uh, with autism, where there are 600 staff and one robot teacher to t take them through their childhood and a young adult centre to take them up to 25. So that's a major thing, turnover about 20 million, um, but it's a sizable operation. And the one that I'm mainly spending time on now is Autistica, which is medical research into autism. So I've applied my, my, my business skills to the not-for-profit sector. Mm. And, of course, to a topic which is very dear to you. Yes, I think if you're going to put so much energy into a, a career, into a passion, it, it, it must be something that means something to you. And mm. autism is like that. And I can talk to parents of autistic children and they know that I've been through the sort of hell that they're going through. Are you... Um 
able to deal with people who aren't as intelligent as you or aren't as... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or aren't I think you need to rephrase. I that. think, well, in the sense that no, but you're you you are so ridiculously capable, and you've you've proved you're, you're a mathematician. You've you've created a business. You're uh, a formidable philanthropist. You're uh, you're the education established educational establishment looks at you and goes, wow. Oh, fearfully respectable. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but that. But what's it like when you're dealing with people all the time who you think, come on, I need a bit more than this. I think, indeed I hope, that I can reach out to particularly other mothers of autistic children, largely by listening, listening hard to them, as hard as one listens to non-communicating children. I mean, my son didn't have any speech, for example, but he could still communicate. And I know the stresses on um, mothers in particular has been called equivalent to that of a combat soldier. It is extremely stressful. And I do think, I mean, on the phone, I I deal with these issues, not quite daily, but two or three a week. And in just jumping back to the 17 years where you built the business and I talk about that first turning of a dividend of a profit, how did you deal with people in the business that weren't necessarily delivering quite what you needed? Which is a, I think a, the role of a founder, the role of a manager, is to grow other people so that they will deliver what you want. Um, I very seldom had to let people go. I don't even like the expression. Um, as an organisation grows, you find that somebody who's not performing in one area would be splendid in another, and you learn to grow on the skills of, of the staff that you've got rather than being this is how you've got to fit in to this organisation. Because people have so many ideas. This is what diversity is all about. So you never lost your temper? Oh, frequently. Good, that's what I was getting to. I figured <laughs> I figured someone as formidable as you, you know, you're gonna, if you don't like it, you're going to at some point say, hold on a minute. <laughs> sure, you're, you're smiling. We'll hold that there. We'll hold that lovely smile there. Final chat coming up with my um, my guest, Dame Stephanie Shirley. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Esperanza Spalding. That's after the latest traffic and travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Esperanza Sporting with I Know You Know. I am with Dame Stephanie Shirley just for a few more minutes. Um, And we were talking earlier about autism, and I just want to uh, confirm that tomorrow is, in fact, Autism Awareness Day globally. Globally, yes. Globally. Tell me a little bit bit about what you're doing here in the UK with the organisations that you're involved with. Well, one of my charities has actually uh, encouraged the pupils of a school for autism to develop their own song for World Autism Awareness Day. And I hope you like it. Here it is right now. Let me shine 
That was Let Me Shine from the pupils of Priors Court School and it's their song for World Autism Awareness Day. I'm Elliot Moss and you're listening to Jazz Shapers and my guest today is Dame Stephanie Shirley. Your life now, um, in terms of your focus, just tell me a little bit of how you spend your time because I know that it's a it's a creating and a creative role and you're working with charities. Are you still involved with businesses in different ways as well? Are you still Do people come ask you for your advice? Um, in an advisory role, yes, but my... Um, experience is more helpful to entrepreneurs rather than the large corporates. Mm. Um, a couple of nights ago, for example, I had um, dinner with a group called the Supper 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 Club, mm. um, where really we just talked about business issues all the time, and I was trying to share the experience that I'd had in my business. And all businesses start small that would help the the youngsters starting up. Are you still a crusader? I mean, we talked about your your the the the, the, the feminist thing. Um, do you think things have changed? Have they got better, easier for women who are now in business? Things have changed infinitely for women today, and I have very little patience with today's women who complain about lack of diversity and that they're held back. Because compared with the mountains that I had to climb, they, they've got little molehills, little irritations, and that that is all. I think we have moved on from thinking about sexism to thinking about diversity generally. Uh, I'm working to get um, people with autism into employment in the IT industry where they tend to be quite uh, um, talented. Uh, I'm working to get, uh, well, ages. I started working at 18. I'm now well into my 80s and I still enjoy work and want to go on working. So what is this thing called ageism? Mm. Now you mentioned in your, there's a TED talk that you've done which has been seen by many, many, many people and it's very good by the way I recommend it it's um, nearly two million it's ridiculous people. isn't it <laughs> we couldn't get them in this room that would be a bit of a squash and a squeeze um you talk in there about the importance of choosing your partner very carefully now your partner Derek your husband um he, he's he's been with a very powerful very successful very intelligent woman all these years I'm you're a... going to ask me questions that you should be asking him <laughs> but I can't ask him because he's not here what's um and I'm not going to ask him therefore what you what's it been like for him but for you as a as a woman in the world what's it been like for you having that support well my husband's support was absolutely essential um we are a dual career family uh, we share everything money time e expertise uh, and we've somehow managed to raise a, a very difficult child at the same time as building a business I think my husband's career was badly affected um, by my son's um, autism. Um, but these things happen. Maybe it wouldn't have gone as high as mine anyway. And the emphasis has definitely been on mine. Hmm. And he's fine with that, obviously. Well, he hasn't complained yet. <laughs> Let's not tell him. Let's not, but it, we won't go there. Um, listen, it's been, it's been excellent to meet you and to spend just a little bit of time with you. Um, thank you for, for sharing with me and with everyone else listening. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, I've chosen Scott Joplin because I don't really know much about jazz, but his <laughs> music seems to me to have the, the elements of classical music, that um, unpredictable inevitability, and uh, at the same time be joyous and youthful, which I always wish to remain. You are both those things and more. Thank you so much. And here is one of Scott Joplin's Just For You.
That was Maple Leaf Rag from Scott Joplin, the song choice of my business shaper today, Dame Stephanie Shirley, otherwise known as Steve. An incredible woman who was one of the pioneers in the world of technology. A woman who was also a trailblazer for women in business at a time when it just wasn't happening. And one of the UK's most extraordinary philanthropists. I actually think she's one of the smartest, most intellectually fearsome guests I've had here on Jazz Shapers in the last five years. A phenomenal woman. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am sharp for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Meantime, stay with us because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.